You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to the Heart Sounds podcast for December 2018. I'm your host, Shelley Wood, the managing editor at TCTMD.com. Every month, the Heart Sounds podcast recaps some of the top news in cardiology as covered by reporters at TCTMD, letting you listen in on some of the interviews they did to pull together the news. In December, we do something different. In today's special edition of Heart Sounds, I turn the microphone on my team and ask each of them about their favorite story of the past year. I did these interviews one by one with each of the reporters this past week. Some of their choices stemmed from big meetings. Others were feature stories. What's interesting, I think, is not all of these overlapped with what turned out to be the most read stories of the year, but rather were the things that for each of them posed particular challenges, helped them see things in a new light, or were satisfying stories that they had to pull together quickly and in depth as big breaking news. We'll go through these one by one. Take a listen. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Caitlin Cox. And Caitlin, you have had an exciting year for us. You kicked off the year by covering the ICIT meeting for us, then ACC, your OPCR, and of course you put the dailies together with Laura McEwen doing TCT. But um, what about big stories you've worked on this year? Anything in particular that uh, was special for you? Yeah, I, I think the hardest story I wrote this year, and actually the most satisfying to end, was the Impella feature I wrote in May. And it all stemmed out of what started as a Twitter debate about whether Impella should be used in patients with acute myocardiogenic shock, given that there really haven't been any large randomized trials on it yet. There's a lot of observational data, but not a whole lot of trials. And um, the debate got pretty heated. So yeah, I people needed have strong feelings about they this. They really they do. They really are uncomfortable with the lack of data, or they just have sort of anecdotal, firsthand experience of feeling that these are saving lives. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting, and and in writing it, what really struck me was that when I would see people express their opinions online, it was very polarized. But then once I got people on the phone, it really seemed like everybody had a lot more in common than I realized. Uh, nobody was happy with not having a full evidence base, but then on the other hand they weren't really sure how they could get there because it's very hard to do a trial in this space. You've got patients who are really vulnerable. You've got a short amount of time to figure out what to do. And it's very, um, I think the human instinct is just to want to be able to do something. And it's entirely possible that that something is working, but we just don't have the proof yet. Yeah. And so there is a trial. It's called Dan Shock, or was called Dan Shock, And apparently now it's officially danger for uh, Danish and German. And it's enrolling patients. They've been in Denmark for a while. I think they have around 100 patients in Denmark and they're about to start in Germany and that will hopefully provide some answers. Yeah and in the U.S. of course this is already um, on the market so it makes it that much more difficult to study mm -hmm. and randomize patients at this level but what I liked about that feature story is that we saw all of this arguing on Twitter, which as you say is often a little more opinionated than you see when you actually have people in the same room, and people really did not have the information as to what trials had been done and what was ongoing. Mm -hmm. So your feature story really supplied some answers and I think posed some new questions for people that perhaps are now getting answered. Hopefully, yeah. So when you went into the story, I think you had a certain idea of the shape it would take and, and how did it pan out for you? Yeah, I mean, I come at this job from a science background and I'm kind of a nerd about really wanting trial data. So I really thought I'd go in there and say, you know, there's something wrong, it needs to be fixed. 
we need more data. How will the trials get done? How will the trials get done? All these practicalities, why aren't they being done? And honestly, as I started talking to more and more people uh, who use the devices and studied them, I got a real window into how hard it is to actually pull off such a thing. And I really started to understand the difficulty and that this isn't a, a unique situation that in medicine there are all sorts of areas like this where people have to make decisions on medication and snap judgments and things like that. But really, in the end, people are dealing with uncertainty uh, and everybody deals with it in their own way, but just that everybody acknowledges that uncertainty. And like, I was very surprised at how thoughtful everybody was and how people really are considering um, both the science and the, uh, the human angle of making decisions with what you've got. Yeah, I think it's always good for us as journalists too. We, we write about this stuff, we read all these papers, we talk to all these smart folks, but sometimes just for us as journalists to get the reminder that there are real humans um, in life and death situations and the physicians that we write for are really trying to make those decisions in a nanosecond moment. So yeah, good for us to learn something here too as well. Yep. Well, thanks so much, Caitlin. Thank you. All right, I'm sitting here with Laura McEwen and Laura covered the Sky meeting for us back in April and I got to see you there, Laura, as well as the Viva meeting in November. Busy year. Laura, tell me about what your favorite story was in 2018. Well, I think it probably was more of a moment than a story. Okay. Um, I was at Sky, it was the first day. Uh, I went to an ordinary session, it wasn't a late breaking session, it was just a plenary. It was supposed to be devoted to uh, controversies in the management of CAD. And Rasha Al-Lami, the primary investigator of the Orbita trial, Skyped in and the entire right. session just became about discussing the fallout from Orbita. And, and she's joining by Skype, by video, to the uh, session. Yes, and, yeah. she was up there on San the screen and, and everyone was just glued to the screen. And Paul Tierstein asked her about what happened after the trial was unblinded. And she just sort of shocked everyone by saying that 85% of the placebo arm elected to have PCI right. when the trial was over. And it was, I just remember there was kind of a hush and then people started chattering and I wasn't even sure what I had heard um, because I think people knew to some extent that this was the case, but they didn't know the number. Exactly. And I think that number just really resonated with a lot of people. It was a very high number. And um, the cardio Twitter people, there were a few of them in the audience and they started tweeting it out. And yeah, they um, were nuts. it was just, it was quite a moment. And then she was up there on the screen and at some point she started laughing and she said, I think I just gave away the game or something <laughs> like that because it hadn't been published yet and no one really knew this. It was yeah. really kind of a kind of a scoop to be there in that room and it was fun. It was a great scoop. It's always a little bit of a happy accident when you go to one of these sessions that promises to be big debates or controversies and sometimes they can fall kind of flat. But in this case, you really got a good scoop for TCTMD. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. Okay, I've got Michael Rudin here, and Mike, you covered a ton of meetings for TCTMD this year, starting with CRT, but also ACC, EuroPCR, the TVT meeting. So you had a lot of meetings, but what was your favorite story in 2018? 
I guess my favorite story, it was the one I was looking forward to the most all year long. I knew the cholesterol guidelines were coming out at the end of 2018. So the American Heart Association meeting in Chicago. So I was really looking forward to kind of covering those. I knew that um, I knew that there were a lot of criticisms about the 2013 guidelines and how they abandoned cholesterol treatment targets and how they also seem to overestimate patient risk using the risk calculator. Right. So I knew that there would be a lot of attention paid to the new 2018 guidelines. And as usual, big paper like that, especially how it affects so many patients in terms of treatment, was really exciting and uh, didn't disappoint. Yeah, I had the sense this year that it was harder to get people to say something bad about these guidelines. Not that we go looking for people to say something bad, but these were a little less controversial than last time. Is that right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I even kind of spoke to some of the the rabble-rousers in a way, the, the people that were very critical of the 2013 guidelines, and a lot of them were fairly positive on the update. They thought that they gave physicians a fair amount of wiggle room to use their their judgment. They provided some guidance. They provided a lot of guidance, actually, on how to use on guidance on how to use the PCSK9 inhibitors. And also, too, they introduced the coronary artery calcium screening uh, tool to use for patients that I guess would kind of be middle of the road, you know, the intermediate risk patients. You're not sure, do you want to start a patient on a statin or do I actually hold off? So if the CAC score, as everybody's calling it, is zero, you can basically hold off. And if the score is 100 or more, then maybe it's time to start a statin. So okay. nobody really had a lot of negative things to say about the, the guidelines. Yeah, well, you did a great job covering that story, and I'm sure lots of people have already read it, but if not, hopefully they'll check it out. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. Okay, I've got Todd Neal in the hot seat now, and Todd is still recovering from jet lag. He's just back from the WCC meeting in Dubai, but you covered a host of meetings for us this year, which was great. Uh, what was your favorite story of 2018? My favorite story that I wrote this year was uh, called Calling It Quits, kind of looking at um, the decision that interventional cardiologists need to make when it's time to stop doing procedures and you know, kind of the things that go into that and how difficult it is you know, on a personal level, just considering the fact that some of the people who are now at sort of retirement age have been around since the beginning of the field, which yeah. was only you know, about 40 years old. Right. Uh, I looked at our stats for TCTMD this year, and this was one of the top stories of the year. And I think there's a lot of people that read our website that are curious about when certain thought leaders are going to um, hang up their catheters or whatever. And also just wondering, you know, this isn't a field that generally requires people to make sure they still have the actual sort of hands-on proficiency. And, and your story looked at that to some extent. Yeah, a lot of the people I talked to, you know, mentioned first off that age itself shouldn't be sort of the determining factor for when you stop doing procedures. Um, but there isn't really an established way to, you know, kind of judge somebody's skills um, about when to stop. So, you know, most people I talked to kind of said you sort of have to be honest with yourself and you, you have to know when your own skills are going down. And a lot of people said that they did just kind of get a sense it was time to move on, even if they weren't ready to, to stop practicing medicine necessarily. Um, it was time to leave the procedures to some of their younger colleagues um, and that could, they could remain, you know, practicing, seeing patients, um, just not actually doing procedures and, and just sort of serve in an overseeing advisory role um, just to help the younger, younger yeah. generation. I think it was a really interesting story and hopefully more people will check it out if they haven't already. Thanks a lot, Todd.
Thanks. Okay, next up we've got Yael Maxwell. And Yael, you've had a busy year. You covered the EAS for us for the third time in a row. You've been all over the place recording uh, content for the Fellows Forum, where you are our section editor. And had some other big things happen personally this year. You got married, of I course. Did. Pretty exciting. So lots of interesting stuff happening. What for you was the most interesting story you covered for TCTMD this year? There was a lot that I covered this year that I was thinking about, talking about in this segment, um, but I kind of want to take it all the way back to January, so almost a year ago, but still in 2018, um, to the article I wrote that we called Cardiology 2, um, kind of building... With a hashtag. With a hashtag. <laughs> um, kind of building off the momentum of the Me Too movement, and um, this story actually started percolating in my mind at TCT 2017 right. when I spoke with Dr. Atianzar, who I quoted in the article. She was telling me about some pretty concerning anecdotes of uh, sexual harassment and mistreatment even during her training. And I just thought, you know, with this sort of, these sort of allegations that were coming up in seemingly every field uh, around us that there had to be something in the field of medicine worth bringing to our audience also. Yeah, I feel like you're at the beginning of a bit of a wave with this because the hashtag Me Too Medicine sort of arose shortly thereafter, I'd even say, but you had one of the first stories on this and I think what we learned is that that really kind of hierarchical a structure that we know is present in medical training really does have implications for women in this field and you're, I think your story really opened people's eyes up to that and then we certainly saw more stories along the same lines throughout the year. Definitely and um, it was something that even at the time even though I knew we'd fact-checked everything 3,000 times it felt like we even had our uh, in-house attorney take of a look giving everything his blessing and um, I remember we sent it in for publishing and it was late in the day, I think it was even after 5 p.m. And I sat at my desk and I had this pit in my stomach just because I've never been, I'd never written about anything that felt so important before. Not that every other study that I've written about for TCTMD isn't important, but this just felt like it had bigger implications. And I sat there just being nervous about Waiting that. Waiting for it to go live, yeah. <laughs> wondering if we are going to get pushback, wondering who was going to respond and how. Um, and in the end, actually, we got no pushback. We got a lot of praise mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, commentary on Twitter with people congratulating us for bringing this to light in the field. Uh, we were even quoted in a Kaiser Health News article that came out in March, yep. and that felt pretty good to, to kind of yeah, get always good when our stories get picked there. up by the, by the lay press. Well, congratulations on that, and thanks for telling us about it today. Thank you so much. I myself made it to a schwack of meetings in 2019 and picked up the odd daily news story in between. I can understand how hard it was for the folks on my team to choose just one story for this podcast. For me, one contender was a blog I wrote for the Editor's Corner after the ACC in March, looking at the lack of gender and racial diversity in cardiology research. That one was called, Everyone Missing from Clinical Trials, Please Stand Up. Later in the year, however, I covered the MITRA FR trial at ESC, and then the COAPT trial at TCT, which presented a phenomenal challenge in terms of reconciling the different results from these two studies. 
Several people pointed out to me that Mitra FR and Coapt had different sponsors. One was investigator-initiated, the other was fully industry-funded. Questions as to whether this could partly explain the different results paved the way for a feature story I wrote entitled The Price of Knowledge, Industry-Sponsored Studies in the Era of Evidence-Based Medicine. I talked about this in the October Heart Sounds podcast, so prowl through our archives or better yet, go and check out my Coapt and Mitra FR coverage as well as that feature story. That is that for our special December edition of Heart Sounds. If you're looking for more from TCTMD in terms of summing up the year gone by, we've got plenty of other features to check out. We'll be pulling our stats over the next day or two to find out which were our most read stories on TCTMD this year. We also reached out to a wide range of physicians for our annual year in review feature, asking specialists across cardiology to tell us what they think were the most important developments of 2018. I myself had the chance to sit down with Northwestern's Vice Dean for Diversity and Inclusion, Clyde Yancey, the Cardiovascular Research Foundation's Martin Leon, and President-elect of the American College of Cardiology's New York chapter, Norma Keller, to ask all three of them about the top news of 2018. Find that episode of On Record under the video tab on tctmd.com. Thank you so much to TCTMD reporters Caitlin Cox, Laura McEwen, Michael O'Reardon, Todd Neal, and Yael Maxwell, not only for telling me about your favorite stories for this podcast, but also for the great work you do year-round for TCTMD. I'm also grateful to Daniel Parker, who produces the Heart Sounds podcast in the CRF studios, and to Albert Berkshire of Great Creative, who loans me his studio in the wilds of Western Canada to record my audio each month. Last but not least, thanks very much, faithful listeners, for tuning in each month. If you have comments on the show, I'd love to hear them. Find me on tctmd.com or on Twitter as Shellywood, too. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy New Year, and I'll see you in 2019.